everyone, and welcome to another edition of the V Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V Auto, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Really excited for today's conversation because we're going to be talking best practices, the things that top performing dealers are doing to source more inventory more effectively and profitably beyond trade-ins and auctions. My guests for today's podcast are Patrick Jaynes, Senior Director of Strategic Planning for Viato, and Micah Tindor, Senior Director for Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. They've both been working directly with dealers to help them sharpen how they source inventory in this current environment, and they'll be talking about some of the best practices that are in play today. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lance. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks, Lance. As always, a pleasure to be with you. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Well, Patrick, let's start with you. You know, we know that historically auctions and trade-ins have been kind of the primary sources of inventory uh, for dealers and used vehicles. And many, you know, since the pandemic and even during the pandemic, have adopted what we might call a multi-channel or omni-channel strategy. And I'm just curious, what are you seeing in terms of like the numbers of vehicles and maybe the types of vehicles that they're able to acquire from different channels? Yeah, Lance, there's definitely been a shift going on really overall in the industry and what we see dealers doing with their strategy to source vehicles. Um, you know, NADA does a survey every year and tries to identify the sources, kind of the percentage of the pie that come from all the different sources that make up a typical dealer's used car inventory. And the latest one they did in 2023, and we actually did a little the auto survey on the side through social media to kind of validate these numbers. And uh, we came pretty close to what their uh, results were is about 40% of the typical dealer's inventory uh, come from trade-ins on new, uh, about 24% come from trade-ins on used vehicles, and then about 17% come from auctions, and about 14% come from street purchases. Now, I went back into my archives, uh, all the way back to 2017 when I started doing sourcing-based webinars and, you know, sharing knowledge uh, of the industry on this. And uh, it was interesting to see the shift. So back in 17, about 43% of the trades were on new vehicles. So it's 40 now, it was 43. I think we can, you know, chalk that up to uh, low new car inventory, which is now starting to rebound. So that makes sense to me. Um, Trade-ins on used vehicles, about the same, right? 23%, it's 24% this year, makes sense. Auctions, interesting shift, right? Back in 2017, it was 26% of an average dealer's inventory. Again, now down to 17% uh, uh, this year. So I think there's a shift in sourcing out of auctions, probably because of high prices, and also just, you know, again, the, the, the supply situation. Uh, and then the big one as well is the street purchases, right? So 4% back in 2017, just kind of scratching the surface and now up to 14%. And I think a lot of the dealers have uh, learned from the playbook of some of these disruptors, you know, the Carvanas and the Carmax that got to get out there and buy some cars off the street uh, to be able to get them into your inventory and get, and get what you need to keep that wheel of fortune turning. 
Yep. Now, you didn't mention service drive, Patrick. Is that an area where it, perhaps it gets lumped into that other category, perhaps? Or Exactly. I think that's pretty much lumped into that street purchase uh, side okay. of it. That's the way I interpret it, the way they, they asked this survey, uh, which is interesting in itself because you would think service drive is such a great source. Why weren't we doing that back in 2017? Well, maybe because we didn't have to. I don't know. <laughs> you know, right. we could easily go to the auction and and we lived off enough trades and we just supplement what we need from the auction. Uh, and now what I think where the mindset, I believe, has changed, again, referencing those disruptors, the CarMaxes and the Carvanas, who are reaching out to franchise dealers, customers before they're in the market and making it real easy and transparent to sell their car outright, I think there is a big move by dealers and needs to be to start talking to those service customers before they get it in their head that maybe I should sell my car and go on the open market. They can capture that business right in their own service drive. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the the CarMaxes and Carvanas of the world and the process because that that ties uh, into a question I had for you, Micah. I have, I've heard you talk uh, a little bit about the dealer's appraisal process mm -hmm. and how now that they're operating or aiming to operate and source more cars from more channels, that a standardized approach to how they're assessing those cars and putting a number on it and working with customers is critical. So uh, I'm curious, what does a standard appraisal process look like and and can one shift it to fit a specific channel or should they? The standard appraisal process is all about having the exact same appraisal process for every car, every appraiser, every time. And it really consists of four steps, Lance. Step one is that you need to have a standardized list of what should be completed in an appraisal. We all know that different appraisers do different things as part of the appraisal process. And in order for you to have a standardized process and to measure success against it. You need to make sure that everyone's doing the same set of tasks. The second item is you need to have a standardized damage walk process. As you're out doing the appraisal, we know some people do a quick walk and spend a ton of time test driving the car. We know some people want to do a, um, an extensive exterior examination, very little from a test drive side. So you need to standardize the damage walk process. Third, you need to accurately identify recon costs. There's some really interesting Viato data that shows recon estimates at time of appraisal are often $750 off of actuals. So the so third, is that higher, higher or lower or just off? Uh, um, it, it can go both ways. It tends to be lower that it okay. costs $750 more than where I initially identified in the, in the appraisal. And then the fourth step is to set the right strategy for how you get to the appraised value. How do you parse that cost to market price to market margin goals? So if you can get those four standardized pieces, standardized tasks, standardized damage walks, standardized identification of recon, and a standardization of your cost to market, price to market, margin process, that's how you achieve a, a standardized process for appraisals. And the question about adjusting by channel is interesting. You don't want to adjust your process by channel because you need standardization of that process so you can measure against it and identify which of the channels is the most successful and which of the channels you need to put a little more work in. What you do need to adjust is that strategy part for the appraisal, because depending on the channel, there's a different set of customer expectations and potentially a different set of um, engagement mechanisms you need from the dealership. So you want to hold the process steady, 
but you want to adjust the strategy portion by channel. What would be an example there on, on the strategy adjustment, Micah, just to put a little more context and color on that? Yeah, let me give an example of the difference between how you handle a trade-in versus a service drive acquisition. Sure. So we know from Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer Research that the average consumer has 2.6 cash offers when they arrive at your dealership. So they have other options, which means when you're thinking about the strategy of how hard you want to hit a car versus cost to market and price to market, you're going to need to be a little more on the aggressive side because customers already have a really solid idea. And if you come in two grand too short, they're just going to walk out and go to their next offer that is putting two grand on more. However, on the service drive side, customers are showing up to service to get an oil change. They're not planning on selling their car to you. So you can be a little less aggressive on your price, but more importantly, as you talk about what's the strategy of positioning, you need to make sure that you have an exit strategy for that customer. How do you get home? No one wants to arrive for an oil change and walk home. So you want to adjust the strategy to make sure you include the new car purchase and you aren't just trying to buy the car. So you want to adjust it to the set of what you know the customer is going to need in that channel to make sure that you're maximizing your opportunity to win each channel. Okay. So if, so if I'm a dealer then, and I, and I have taken those four steps that you just outlined and, and done my best to apply them, how would I use, or what, what metrics would I be using then to assess how well my appraisers are sticking to that process and, and achieving my standards as that I have set it established as a dealer? That is the, Perfect logical next step. Glad you asked that. The first thing that you need to look for is a non-statistical element, which is adherence to the acquisition strategy. I mean, at the bottom line, that's what it comes down to. What is your acquisition strategy? And are people putting the right money on the right cars in line with your acquisition strategy? So you need to be able to use a tool like PropTime GPS to track how well people are doing and adhering to that strategy. Are they buying the right cars for your inventory mix? Second, you want, to, you want to identify the accuracy of their stated recon, the appraised recon versus final recon, which is easy enough. You need to go back and look at recon costs that are in the appraisal, and you need the final recon costs and just find the delta so that you can start to help people tune their identification of recon costs to minimize that 750 short gap that we see in the market. And then third, you want to make sure that they're putting the correct appraisal value on it. So you adhere to the strategy, you correctly identified the damage and entered it as recon cost. Are you correctly identifying the cost to market, price to market, staying within the gross targets to have the right, the right number in the end? So you do those three things, adhere to the acquisition strategy, accuracy of recon, correct appraisal process. Then it's all about performing against it. Once you identify where somebody's short, you build a performance plan, and that's what, what dealers are so good at, managing against a plan and executing against it. Patrick, I, I want to maybe ask a part of what Micah just shared uh, to you, where um, you were at, there was a recent webinar where you talked about putting a correct value on a car. Uh, and Micah touched on that, but what what are the, some of the best practices that, that uh, you would recommend or you've seen dealers employ? Well, I mean, this is the age old, you know, the auto performance manager uh, shtick, right? <laughs> we start at retail and then we back into what we think we can pay for it. So mm -hmm. that's critical. And obviously bringing in live market data uh, is critical to see what your competition is the moment you're acquiring that vehicle. I think Micah, you know, touched on 
this whole idea of uh, reconditioning costs. Uh, I don't know how many Fiato systems that I've logged into and seen a flat $1,500 in there for the default reconditioning. And uh, you can pull a report on the dealer and they've never changed it. That's our average. So isn't every car average? Uh, so, you know, doing what Micah said and making sure you're identifying to the dollar, you know, what the reconditioning uh, expenses are going to be. Uh, I think that really gets you, you know, backing that off of what the retail opportunity is, that gets you a lot closer to what the number is. And then, you know, we've always coached, you know, that you want to have some sort of third party endorsement of your number. Uh, the days of going out there with a green Sharpie, you know, on a worksheet and saying, here's what your car's worth, uh, doesn't bode very well. And, and Micah outlined that when he said how many offers the customer already has, they've already validated that number with a number of entities. You better go out there with something that says, hey, this is our number. And this is, you know, the trusted source that we're using to be able to give you the value for that car. So uh, I think that's, um, you know, really if you get start to capture that inside of your process, you make yourself a lot more transparent, and a lot more believable. And going back to the process and Michael or Patrick, either one of you, but um, I have understood that it, it really depends on the dealer, the degree to which they are actually entering. This is a service drive car. This is an auction car. You know, like identifying the channel that the cars came from. Um, and I'm curious if, if you've seen that same sort of gap there and who should be responsible? Is that a manager's job, the appraiser's job? What, what do you guys uh, have to say there? Yeah, I'll take that one, Lance. I, I, I think, um, you know, in our appraisal system in the auto, we have the ability to set up sources. So it's a, it's a quick click, right? To just to be able to say, hey, I'm looking at this car. Uh, where is that source coming from? To, to be able to uh, identify that. Now, uh, not to give away the farm here, but we are working on some enhanced technology that will be out before too long, I won't say when, uh, where we're gonna automate even more of that process. So the system will know you're looking at a car at auction. It will know you're looking at a car in KBBICO or a service drive car. But for now, having that appraiser identify the source is really pretty important. And, I, and I'll tell you why, I want to share some numbers, you know, in profit time GPS, you know, we have, we've deployed data science, you know, to really determine the investment value of a car. And we use a, a zero to, to, to 12 scale, if you will, uh, on those vehicles. And, and the 12 being, you know, the, the highest opportunity of return on investment. Um, and we call those platinum cars. And then the, you know, the ones through threes are kind of those bronze cars. And I pulled some data from some of our profit time dealers. And you know, we're talking about this omni-channel opportunity. And a typical dealer that I was looking at, what was the score of the cars from these different sources, right? And they've done a good job of breaking out their sources. So we know where the appraisal came from. We know it came into inventory. And what was the profit time score by those channels? Um, the trade-ins were eight to nine, right? Pretty good cars, right? You would expect, you usually get your best cars from, from the trade-in, right? From auction, hate to say this, but ones and twos, okay? okay. We, get a lot of, we get a lot of bronze cars from auction, right? I mean, that's why they're at auction and you're probably putting a little more cost to market than you want to. 
but we also know that bronze cars aren't bad, right? I mean, those are the cars that we well, we like to turn quickly. Our FNI department enjoys them. Our service department enjoys them. And we just got to know what we have when we bring the car in and we put them on the money and we turn them quickly. Um, the service drive, eights and nines, all right? So if we work that service drive, those are the kind of cars that we would typically get in trade. And that's a, a, a great source. Uh, I was looking at lease returns, 10s and 11s. Okay, now we all know those are pretty looking pretty good right now, right? Because the residual values forecasted three years ago uh, had no idea that we would be in a, in a market like we are. But I just wanted to make one comment. I was talking to a couple of dealers about this on this lease return idea. You know, when the customer comes in and says, hey, I'm going to buy out my lease return, right? And we kind of go, we were hoping to get that car back, right? It was going to make a great used car. Um, let's not treat them like bad citizens. Uh, I've had a conversation with a couple of dealers and that tends to happen because you're disappointed about the opportunity and you're just going to do the transaction and really maybe not make any money. But I think what we really want to do on those transactions, this dealer told me, is they really push hard to put extended warranties on those cars. What typically happens is when the when they deny the extended warranty, they get a little deeper into why the customer's buying their car. And in some cases, they may already have another buyer for that car who's coached them to go in and buy the car and flip it to them. We want to find that out, right? Because maybe we're willing, and you probably would given the residual value and the buyout, to say, hey, why don't you just go ahead and do the transaction with us and sell us your car if you've been thinking about selling it to someone else? You know, how much would it take, right? Because we need those used cars. And when they're 10 and 11s in our profit type scoring system, you know, we can put some energy into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so that's in uh, that touches on another question I had, Patrick, is once we go down the road of, of multi-channel in earnest, uh, multi-channel sourcing in earnest, we're tracking things. Um, the profit time score, the investment score you just mentioned is one way to sort of understand what you're getting or how that channel is performing for you. Um, what are some of the other uh, measurements or metrics that dealers might heed, you know, as as they start to be more aggressive and, and, and purposeful in these different channels. Yeah. The other one is, you know, uh, a tried and true metric within the auto is that look to book, right? Or that trade capture rate. So how many appraisals are we doing in each of those channels and how many cars are we actually taking in? Right. So I, I've heard numbers in the service drive, for example, uh, dealers are, are acquiring three to 5% of their customer pay ROs on a monthly basis. Now, that doesn't mean they're appraising every customer pay car that goes through the service drive, uh, but it means that they are trying to find, and we have you know tools and, and, and insights to be able to point them to the best cars that are coming through that service drive, and then they're making those appraisals and trying to get them in. So I think this whole look-to-book idea works great channel by channel and even all the way down to the appraiser. I mean, I, Micah said it, right? We want to be able to kind of inspect what we expect all the way down to each individual that's appraising cars to see if there is a standardization of that result, right? We don't want one guy capturing 20% of his trades and the other guy capturing 80%. Let's see what they're putting in those cars. What are the cost of markets? What are they forecasting the price to market to be? Uh, that's all really critical 
to measure performance uh, in all of this appraisal activity. Micah, when you were uh, I, you were giving some uh, detail about customer expectations, um, and and I I was curious in the service drive, and you also talked about a standardized process, mm-hmm. and I. Uh, what I don't think you said was what we may around Viato call the active appraisal, you know, where you're walking the car with the customer and the service drive doesn't necessarily seem to be the best place to do that. But I, I don't know what, what maybe um, given the expectations of the customers there, how should that work? It's interesting. There are 10 expectations of customers that we identified in the survey. A number of them carry over to any, acquisition opportunity regardless of the channel, whether you're getting it off of Facebook or the service drive or trade-in. And the two key components there are that you need to help consumers understand the damage as part of that walk and understand what's important in their vehicle. Four of the unmet needs are around, I feel like I'm inaccurately dinged on damage, or I feel like there's something special on my vehicle the dealer's missing. So when you include the customer in the damage walk, which is really convenient with service because they're already there, you can walk around and say, uh, unfortunately, this is I'm going to have to have my dent guy repair this. It costs about 80 bucks. But you have the special um, special trim package, and these wheels increase the value, and it helps build the confidence. The second thing everybody needs is to understand their vehicle value in the market. With the average consumer having 2.6 offers and millennials tending to have four-plus offers, they need you to walk them down the path of why is one vehicle at 24.6 or why is one offer at 24.6 on your vehicle and another offer is at 22.5 and I'm at 23.4. And that's where you really need to leverage, as Patrick mentioned earlier, that live market view data to help them understand how many vehicles like yours are in the market, where are they being sold to justify your price. So those are going to work really well in the service drive because everybody needs that. But there's two particular needs if you're talking about the service drive that customers have. One is that you need to have a replacement vehicle lined up for them or at least be prepared for that conversation. As I mentioned earlier, I don't want to drive up and walk home from an oil change. So you need to make sure you have a replacement vehicle in place, which is a little different from most other channels. But one other thing you need to do in the service drive and in the street purchase channel is you really need to be able to articulate the convenience side. Because I'm there for an oil change. I have a short tenure to do it. I'm on Facebook Marketplace. I'm not expecting you to reach out. I have a plan for my day and selling my car wasn't part of my plan. So you need to be able to talk through the convenience of why it's easier to sell it to me today. Don't have to worry about a wet signature or domino disclosures inspections if it's a street purchase. Don't have to get it notarized. If you're in the service lane, you can talk about how, hey, you're at this point in your service contract. You're going to have these three more service appointments and this one repair coming up. Wouldn't it be easier just to flip into a new vehicle? It'll only take you an hour and 10 minutes. It's shorter than the service time that your list will have you back on the road. So overarching, you need to talk damage and what's special in the vehicle. You need to help the customer understand the market value. But specifically in the service drive, you need to be ready with a replacement vehicle. And you need to be able to talk why it's more convenient to sell to you now than it is to wait and maybe see them go somewhere else. Thank you, Micah. As we close the conversation, um, what's one recommendation or priority each of you might suggest to our listeners to help them find greater success sourcing in any channel. And and maybe, Michael, let's start with you. For me, it's really about that standardization. If you can dial into the most effective way to appraise a vehicle by measuring everyone to the same standard and then helping everyone to get better based on whoever's best at each of the pieces of the appraisal process, 
then you know that regardless of what channel you point your appraisal process at, you're going to have a high level win rate. So it's all about creating a standardized appraisal process that can help each of your appraisers improve day over day. Okay. Patrick. I think it's getting in the game in every channel, right? I see so many dealers, you know, that are still, Hey, I go buy a few cars at the auction to supplement my inventory. And, and that's enough missing these opportunities that some of the disruptors have taken advantage of and really exercising a strategy in every one of these channels. And we laid them out for you at nauseum. But, you know, given those profit time numbers I gave and the investment value of some of these uh, vehicle channels, uh, you got to have a strategy for all of them. But what I love about this title, omni-channel approach, you know, I used to call it multi-channel, but, you know, my marketing folks made me start calling it omni-channel because that's the buzzword, right? In marketing and advertising, it, it means it's integrated. So to, to Micah's point, you know, it's got to work all together. So that standardization across all these appraisal uh, opportunities in each channel, bringing that together as a team and evaluating what kind of money we want to put into each car from these sources uh, really will give you the traction and, and making it a centralized effort within the dealership to get as many cars in as possible. Very good. Well, Patrick, Micah, thank you for joining today's podcast. And everyone listening, thank you all for joining this edition of the V Auto Podcast. Until next time, stay well.